And honestly, I think this this way of thinking also explains some of the discourse on tabletop RPGs. I agree. There are games that are good, but there are games that can be entertaining. And, and most of the time, people don't really mm, think about a game being good design-wise. It just needs to be entertaining. There's a lot of reasons that I count myself as lucky for hosting this show. And I think one of the biggest things that I love is the people that I've got a chance to meet. Eduardo is definitely not the biggest name I've had on this show, but I think you're going to find this to be a very interesting interview. Now, I've read and played dozens, if not hundreds of systems. I've rarely come across something as unique as Eduardo's feel system. Yes, this is another Hide Your Wallet episode. Eduardo helped me continue my quest to talk to creators from across the globe. How the approach to our hobby has regional differences just blows my mind. We have a great discussion about running mysteries in your games. I bet you're going to be surprised to hear what he's been grooving on. All right, sit back, relax, and enjoy my time with Eduardo. My name is Anthony Boyd, but you might know me better as Runeslinger. When I'm not working on my own sporadic RPG podcasting and video projects, I listen to Tabletop Talk for its far more regular deep dives into the brains of top designers in the role-playing game and wargaming spaces. I enjoy it a lot, and I think you will too. Howdy friends, Craig here. Today I'm talking with Eduardo Buzzi, creator of the Feel System for tabletop role-playing games. This unique system allows you to build your character as you play. With influences across the design community, it took a 15-minute conversation with him for me to know we needed to learn more and get him on the show. So, Eduardo, welcome to Third Floor. Uh, thank you so much. I'm genuinely excited to be here, so thanks for having me. I feel like we've known each other for like a really long time. We have been communicating via, I think, Twitter mostly uh, for a, a year or two now, don't you think? Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. So it's a real pleasure to finally have a chat, let's say. So um, Eduardo had reached out to me and, you know, he said, hey, Craig, I've got this field system and I want, you know, I wonder if you'd take a look at it. And I started reading through it and I'm like, this is really interesting. And then we had, I think, a relatively quick phone call. And uh, I heard you start talking about it. I'm like, all right, stop, 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 stop. And uh, we booked we booked time for the show. But as a listener, you know what's coming next. So a long time ago, Eduardo, you knew nothing about tabletop role playing game. And then at some at some point, someone put it in front of you for the first time. Can we go back there? Absolutely. So um, let's say this is a two part story, if you want. So the very first time I heard about tabletop RPGs, it was in, I think, 2001. I was uh, 12 years old. And basically, I just moved uh, to a different town from, from Venice in the north of Italy to the, the, the place I live now. And there was this schoolmate who approached me at the end of school, at the end of the lesson. And he was like, um, look, um, uh, there is this thing I do with friends. Um, we meet at someone's place and, you know, um, it's weird. Um, actually, we we are vampires. I mean, we, <laughs> we, we, are, we are all vampires and, you know, we fight werewolves and we compete for power and uh, it's weird. Um, it's actually easy if you show up and see for yourself uh, what, what this is about. And of course, you know, I was a newcomer, so obviously <laughs> that didn't creep me out at all. And I was absolutely, I'm all in. <laughs> 
Uh, and so they were playing obviously Vampire the Masquerade and um, and yeah that was my my first time I went there and uh, they asked me to just uh, you know um, not to play just to, to to look at what they were doing and um, I actually met basically all my closest friends this way we are all still in touch and some of us still play and basically I, I remember how I annoyed uh, one of uh, the GM actually, um, because basically I, I, I basically solved riddles, you know, um, from, from the public. And he was like, no, no, you, you, you can do that. You, you, you're not playing, you can give solutions. And, uh, and yeah, that, that was my, my very first time with a tabletop role playing game. So not your typical fantasy, um, start, right? So something different. Do you, can you remember, you know, you're sitting there at, uh, observing people play. Do you have a sense or do you remember, you know, how that unfolded in your head? Like at, at the different levels that you understood what was happening? So I, I for sure didn't realize what the rules were doing. Also because our play style were, was very, if you want, freeform. We didn't mm -hmm. follow all the rules, you know. And... Um, but I remember that the, 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 the process itself felt very natural to me. Um, I was one of those child who played with, you know, action figures and create the longest stories. I, I always played with the Legos, Nice. but the fun part for me was not to build, was to create stories set in the castle I just built. So building was necessary to create stories, you know? So basically it felt a little bit different because of course, there were other people and no toys, just dice. Right. But let's say I, I remember that I was like, wow, this is cool. No, I mean, I, I read a lot at the time. I still do. And I was like, this is, this is fun. This seems great. These people seem great. These are all, if you want, like my minded, like me, if you want, mm -hmm. because they were able to use create their imagination to create stories and stuff. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is, this is my place. This is where I want to be. <laughs> so so yeah. you're playing vampire, the masquerade. What is the next game that comes on your radar? The next game that got your interest. So basically the, the one point we, we faced at the time was the fact that none of us knew English as, as, as good as, as, as needed, you know, so right. our, choices that were not, not a lot. And we had this small uh, bookstore here and basically vampire was the only thing there. And the, the group actually landed on vampire because they were playing uh, D and D first edition with another group of people. Um, but they didn't like the whole, uh, the whole dungeoneering thing if you want they wanted something different so when when they found vampire they said oh cool this, this seems cool um a few of them were big fans of um um the the, the movie with the vampires with brad pitt i um the title is uh, eluding me anyway are you talking about um interview with the vampire yes that one yeah. exactly yeah so and then a few years later i think underworld came out so vampires were a thing and, and that, that felt cool. And the next, we, we played a lot of that. We basically, we, we did what most people do with D&D. You know, we start playing fantasy with vampire and uh, sci-fi with vampire oh, and everything. Okay. And then after, after a few years, actually, I think, 
we decided to give it a try to D&D 3.5. And uh, the group really liked it, but nice. I didn't. I wasn't <laughs> able to appreciate that. Basically, too, too, too much tables and mm. the, the, the D20 that there were... I, I wasn't ready, let's say, to, to, to move to something different. And later, I met another group of people uh, older than me. And one of them was a huge fan of Fate Core. Mm-hmm. And he told me, look, there is, this system is great. He played uh, Dresden Files, the first version. Um, and yeah, so I landed on Fate. And that was, I, I would say, my second big game I played a lot. And actually, I played a lot more in the end than Vampire, probably. And toyed with it a lot more. Let's say it was my first workshop to act stuff and create my own things, if you want. Was it was it hard for you to let go of the structure of vampire or was it a situation when you started when you got fate, you immediately understood it or was there a transition for you? Um, so there was a, a transition. Definitely. I wouldn't talk about structure, probably, but I was used to this attribute plus skill thing mm-hmm. and moving to uh, to skills straight in fate was weird. And obviously aspects were a huge thing, right. but we love that also because in a way it solved a lot of the problems we faced with vampires. Sometimes you're, you're like, yeah, but I was a cop. Why am I not good at this as I should be? And when we found aspects, we were like, wow, this is exactly what we felt it was missing in, in, in another game. So, um, no, it, it wasn't so hard, let's say, no, not so hard. So, you know, as we as we were going to talk about the field system, I'm sure we're going to also talk about a lot of the influences that you had um, uh, along with it. But as not as a designer, but as a player, what systems are you playing now that you're that you're really enjoying? So I'll be honest at the in this very moment, I'm playing D&D 5e. OK. And, tell, and what are you enjoying about 5e? Um, the setting mostly. I'm yeah. a huge fan of Aberon. Yes. And basically, I didn't want to try to translate it in any other game. So I decided to go with, uh, with 5e. Um, but we are also playing the Sprawl at the moment. Uh, that's that's a, a great game, in my opinion. And the previous uh, game we, we just ended was, I think, um, Monster of the Week. Nice. Uh, but yeah, we, we, we play a lot of games. I have uh, an Excel spreadsheet that is uh, long, you know, and, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So th- these are the games I- I'm reading also now, um, Torchbearer second edition. Oh, you know, I have, can you believe it? I do not own Torchbearer and I've never read it. What, what's your take on it so far? Um, I was thinking about you while reading it actually, because I think uh, the game is very suited to the way you GM Forbidden Lands. How so? Um, it's similar in, in the role the GM needs to have in the way that the book suggests to prep and, uh, and in the way it's structured to create adventures and adventure sites. Got it's, it. I, I, I saw a lot, let's say in the, in the past six months, we tried Forbidden Lands, uh, Fellowship Second Edition, mm-hmm. and I'm reading Words Without Numbers. And now this one, and I saw a lot of, you know, similarities. It's, it's, it's clear. I, I mean, it seems clear to me that they are all different takes, but looking at the same thing, you know? So it was interesting. 
I'm gonna you sold Torchbearer. I'm gonna have to finally break and buy it because the con that that's something that I just really gravitated to in Forbidden Lands and really the other the other it's almost a design philosophy we're seeing coming out of uh, Free League, which is um uh, something that took me a little while to gronk as a GM, which is stop writing stories just just create situations, situations. yep yes. uh, or as, as you know john harper says create dangers and and threats and and yes. have an awareness of of where uh, of the world and then uh drop the players in and then just see what happens and react and um so many times you know i'll, I'll pick up and look, read some of the you know, those incredible series of, of adventures, you know, that for Pathfinder, I always forget what they call them, but adventure paths, adventure paths. I mean, they're amazing, but I, I couldn't run one now because it, they have, you know, they have specific beats that you have to hit along the way in order for it to all work. Um, I, I need I need something different now. So, God damn it, I'm going to end up buying Torchbearer because you I hope you're proud of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> So no, I, I am actually, and um, <laughs> and anyway, this is a train of thought I was uh, myself thinking about recently because I think that one of the major things that happened to me as a player, while let's say I, I read more games, was moving from the the idea of prep preparation as I need to know exactly whatever is going to happen, whatever takes the story might might take, I need to know, and then it became something like no, I want to be zero prep just improvisation and then I, I and then something clicked to, in, in my mind and that and and i am now in a place where i know that i need to prep but it's yep. a different way of prepping as yep. you said it's not about creating a sequence of scenes or outcomes but rather a series of dangers threats situations opportunities and use the npcs you have in the game to basically feed the conflict inside the game and yeah so i let's say i i faced the similar evolution if you want when it came to prepping my own games and when you're used to running a game a, a specific way it's, sometimes it's hard to let go um very very hard to let go and the most recent version of that for me is um running um a, a vasen right for, out of free league and you know it's a mystery it's a mystery and it's uh, even really in many ways, even more investigative than like Call of Cthulhu, because you're not trying to figure out how to beat the monster. You're figuring out how to satisfy the, the, the threat, right, to make the threat go away. So you really have to uncover a lot more than you do in, in Call of Cthulhu. And I found me prepping for it like it's Brindlewood Bay, right? And instead of, you know, so the concept of just having a list of clues, like here's everything that's going on, here's all of the intricate things, and here's 15 clues that that they can find. Now, the clues are a lot more defined for this than they are in Brindlewood Bay, but that idea that, like, I can drop these clues anywhere, um, but I don't have to have them go down to the bathroom on the third floor in order to find, you know, this specific clue. And if they don't find this clue, then they're, they're not going to find it. You know, I've got I've got 20 clues for my players to find. And if they find eight of them, they're going to you know, they're going to figure stuff out. Um, so, yeah, it's neat, but it's hard to let go of stuff, uh, especially when you're super used to it. Absolutely. And to be honest, investig investigative mystery games are for me, something that we could discuss for hours because they are a very specific kind of game, especially for this media, in my opinion. 
Yeah. And I think they, they basically face the same issue, if you want, that conversations have, because it's one of the few things that we can actually do at the table, figuring out stuff. So it's very easy to, at some point, forget about the game and yep. just solve riddles or mysteries with our own, you know, capabilities, if you want, and, and abilities. It's a hard genre to run, right? Because there's, there's a lot of things in there. It's very easy to get stalled. Um, and you have to be very adept as a GM to prevent that from happening without removing agency. That's not easy. Um, the other part, which you're hinting at too, Eduardo, is the, um, who's investigating is the player investigating or is the character investigating? Right. And, and if it's the character investigating, how are we going to make that? So, um, if I've got a character who has a ton of folklore knowledge more than the player does, then how do we make that work? And I think the best, better systems support that and, and help you in their mechanics to solve that so that your player still feels like they're playing uh, an expert in folklore, right? Um, that they're not just rolling a die and, and they got a 20. So now they're, now I'm going to give you this information. Um, it, it's a tough balance, a real tough balance. So guys, the insider insight series allows me to sit down with designers, developers, artists, writers, and creators, and learn how they approach their work. I try to understand their process, inspiration, and methods for crafting their creations. We're going to do that with Eduardo. We're going to talk about the feel system on the other side of the break. Oh, hey, it's me. Um, I'm interrupting this episode and I hope you're enjoying it and I bet you're anxious to hear the rest. But before we jump back, I need a favor. Do you know someone who might enjoy this episode? Can you shoot them a quick message or maybe even send them a link to it? Listeners sharing this podcast was the primary reason we almost doubled our audience last year. Also, would you like to see and hear these games in action? Go to the Third Floor Wars YouTube channel and Twitch stream. Our actual plays combine compelling role-playing, character-driven action, and system tutorials. We create great stories while lifting the hood and showcasing the game mechanics. Links to both are in the show notes. Okay, last thing, and I mean it. Have you rated this podcast on your pod platform yet? Maybe even written a short review? It is a simple way for you to be even more awesome than you already are. Okay, now I'm done. Let's jump back and listen to the rest of this episode. Like I mentioned, uh, when Eduardo first kind of sent over the feel system, um, I started reading through it and I'm like, I need to talk to him. Uh, and then we hopped on the phone and he started walking me through this thing. I'm going to, I want all of you to get ready because this, this is going to be both familiar and foreign all at the same time. So um, Eduardo, I, let's start um, just with an overview. Um, so what is the two or three sentences that you, you use to kind of explain to people or to prepare people for understanding what the feel system is? Oh, all right. So usually I say something like feel system is a, let's say, setting free tabletop role playing game that is focused on finding out who the main characters are and why. It's about telling stories where we plan, we play to find out why the protagonists are the true center of the story. And the, the rules of the game will support us in doing this. And that, that discovery piece, I think, is what really makes it unique. And 
we're going to get very much into the mechanics. Um, but before we do, and before we talk about kind of the history of how you got here, I do want to give the listeners a little bit of a sense of where do they start? So if, if I sit down and I'm going to play a fuel system game, if I'm going to be playing to discover my character, I've got to start somewhere. So let's talk about where they start. So let's say the, the um, something I, I find out at some point during the design was that a setup phase were, was needed to play field system proficiently. Um, and this was at least hard to, to find out because I, I play tested it with my friends. So we were all on the same page constantly. But at some point during playtest, I, I had the chance to, to look at someone else's game and I was like, okay, I need to create tools for the group to get on the same page, understand what are they going to play and why and what to expect from the game. What was so, the game that made you rethink that? Uh, I don't remember. I think it was Henry's group, maybe. Uh, but I, I honestly don't remember. We, we mm -hmm. had a lot of play tests, uh, and in, and, and probably in several occasions that happened, I think probably one of the most important play tests was, uh, done by a friend of mine and it was a superhero, um, kind of game. And as you probably know, superhero genre is very open. Mm -hmm. So basically there were people playing, uh, um, justice league and others playing Avengers and another one was playing basically on his own, another game, a, a very grittier and darker one, basically. And, uh, and so, yeah, that was, uh, that was, let's say revealing as a play test. And, um, so, and the first so what was your reaction to that then? So you said, I, I definitely need more of a setup to, to help people get on the same page. Yes. So what does that look like? So basically it's, um, it's, um, list of question and you have some open questions for the group to answer others. You can pick from a list to basically use common, commonly known label, let's say like superhero fantasy and stuff. And, and basically there is this, this list of, of, of points to touch. And, uh, at the end of the game, let's say, um, the group should have a clear picture of what to expect and what is there to be explored basically. So at that point we've established, you know, genre setting, the type of game that we're going to play. Um, but I still don't have a character yet. Um, no, you don't. so, so how, where do I start on this journey, um, to, to create, to, to create the character in play. But before we, before we start, start at all though, I've got to start somewhere. I've got a blank sheet of paper in front of me. Yeah. You have your character sheet and basically the game asks you just to, Pick a name for your character, pronouns, look, and let's say a, a, a concept, what is called a concept, which is at, during the first session, it's something that will change during the game. But basically at the, at the beginning of the first session, your concept is mostly your demeanor and look, how you appear, basically. And then you just pick uh, three, they were called attributes in the first iteration, but now they're called uh, um, attitudes. So basically, they are just physical, intellectual, and social aptitudes, which are a broad way to say, I want to be good at this. It's, it's also a mechanical bit because it, it basically affects the number of dice you roll. But first and foremost, it's a declaration of intent. I want to be this kind of character. I, you don't know me yet, but expect me to be involved in these kind of situations. 
and we're going to we're going to talk a little bit more about it. But that that's where you, you hooked me. Right. Which is, you know, it seems like that's the most fun part of character creation is is just coming up with the basic concepts and 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 those things and having the freedom when playing the field system to define as we go and to, and to really discover as we go is very interesting, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. I want to go back in history. At some point you got the first kernel of this idea. Um, and you know, I'm, as I talk to designers, I'm finding kind of two things. One is writing a game because an idea just pops in your head and you can't get rid of it. The other th- thing I'm hearing is I'm trying to solve a problem. So what was it for the feel system? When you go back in time and think about the first time you started thinking about this, w- what caused that to happen? So uh, I remember that moment very well. I was coming, I was commuting back home from, from work and I am lucky enough to have, um, let's say my better half, who is also a player, and an eager one, let's say. And at the time, basically, we were um, trying to play a lot one-on-one. And we usually had a few hours, not, not long sessions. So it was something to basically to, to do when, when it was possible. And we used Fate Core mostly for this kind of stuff. But the problem was that usually figuring out the list of skills and create characters took longer than we had available. It didn't make sense to spend one hour making one character or creating all this, the thing if then you had just two to play. So I remember that I was uh, in my car and I called her and I said, look, I just had an idea. What if we started with the blank piece of paper in front of us you decide your name, we decide what kind of game we want to play, and I just jam it for you. And she was like, okay, cool. You realize it's not a game. And I was like, <laughs> right, let me, think of, uh, let me think about it. And this was actually, I think, 2016. Wow, so it's been a while. It, yeah, it's, it was a long process, but it started for real in 2018. And let's say this is the second part of the story I was mentioning before. My real introduction, let's say, to tabletop RPGs as I, as I see them now was in 2018. And precisely during our, our honeymoon, to be honest, we were lucky enough. She basically got sick. Uh, she had fever, temperature, and, and uh, you know, um, uh, at some point she couldn't speak anymore. So oh, it was bless. like... And, and obviously she was like, please, at least you try to enjoy your, your, the trip. And I was like, I mean, yeah, okay. For a couple of hours a day, but then I want to stay with you and see how, how you're feeling. And so I, I basically stumbled on this game, which had this cover, this dark cover with this white title and this guy hooded with a couple of blades in hand, you know? Um, and basically that was my, you know, um, real my my i felt reborn after reading blades blades in the dark so the process started a few months later uh we we moved to uk and i started thinking about field system in a different way and 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 basically that that was the the real beginning of the design as i and as i do it now let's say but the idea started in 2016 so what what did you find so earth shattering in blades? So as you're as you're flipping through blades, do you remember like different points or different things that you came across that kind of blew your mind? 
basically everything. I mean, at, at first it was just a, a matter of, wow, using these sixes in this way, that's cool. Because I wasn't so used to roll and keep. And then everything, every single page. And, um, and the real thing that made me realize Blades was something different was the fact that I wasn't able to play it. I, it took me like four years to proficiently play Blades with my group because of what you said earlier. It, it's tough to let go. And Blades was really different. And after we played the first game and I was like, this feels so different from what is written in the book. I stopped and I said, okay, I need to learn stuff. It's clear that this is not working. It's clear that this would work if I did something different. So I want to crack it. I want to understand what I'm doing differently. There, there is an instinct. Um, and I struggled with this too, man, where, where you're, you're fighting the game. And it's because you can't let go. Right. And, and, and when you're fighting with the game, it blades can feel tough. It can feel um, crunchy in a lot of ways if you keep fighting it. Um, yeah, I'm the same way. It took me God, at least a year of running it a lot before I finally just like gave up in a good way and just let go, you know, and I'm like, oh, all right. So instead of me trying to dictate how to run blades, I'm going to do something really revolutionary and run it the way it's written. God forbid. Right. I'm actually in the way that John in the back of the book says like, Hey guys, this is how you run the game. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> and then, it, yeah. Yeah. And then you find out and you say, wow, I, I did this really smart thing with, which is perfect for the game. And then you go to page a hundred and you find that exactly written down and you're like okay i'm a moron <laughs> that's so funny so so funny all right so blades blows your mind um uh, obviously your wife gets gets feeling better you get done with your honeymoon you head home where does that then so you go back and pull out the feel system again and start looking at it where do i see the blades fingerprints where do i see blades change things for you uh, for example you can see that in the roll and keep mechanic of the aptitudes but also in the whole negotiation process. So it's different than Blades. To be honest, it's worse than Blades, but it's <laughs> tough to be better than Blades at something, sure, you know, sure. at least for me. And, uh, and basically, but basically players can, uh, can revisit their intent to, to lower the difficulty or accept, let's say, different consequences. So the whole negotiation, again, the whole negotiation process is there, is explained, or, uh, let's say, worse than Blades. Yeah. It's, uh, it's less effective, but, you know, I couldn't just copy paste what, what John's typed sure. down in, in his book. And, uh, but yeah, it's there. So to help the audience, let, let, let's do this. Um, I've got my character sheet. We've decided that I, we're going to that I'm going to play Indiana, an Indiana Jones pulp hero and 1920s. And I'm in uh, a tomb and I have, you know, have I need to jump across this pit. Now, on my character sheet, we just have my concept. My idea is what I look like. Um, you know, I've I've. Put down a focus, right? What what type of character I'm going to be, but I haven't put anything else down. So I say to you, as the GM playing field system, okay, I, I want to jump this pit. What hap What happens now? So in this case, basically, intent is is pretty clear, and also approach. So let's say these two steps can more or less be skipped if you want. And so I'm telling you, okay, this is a physical situation. So grab your physical aptitudes. And 
And I would say something like, based on what happened, based on what we established about the pit, about you being injured, for example, or you be on the run, or you being very athletic, I don't know, st stuff like that, we decide that the TN is, I don't know, 15. And at that point, what happens is that uh, you get to reveal one tag for your character. So I would say something like, do you possess any useful tag that apply to this role, your decision, or do you want to reveal something to help you facing this challenge? And, and I say to you, uh, yeah, I'm a former decathlete, right? I competed in uh, decathlons in, in high school and college. So, um, you know, my tag is decathlete. So I'll, uh, I'd ask you what kind of, what, 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 what kind of tag is it? If it's a good tag, a legendary tag, a superior tag, you write, write it down. And at that point, I would, I would ask you, do you want to narrate a flashback about your character, about a meaningful moment of your past, somehow related to this tag? And so I do that, right? I, I come up with a really great, great flashback that that really kind of parallels this. And we come back from that flashback. What happens? Uh, what happens is basically that we we establish the consequences of your failure. And for example, you could say, OK, I accept that. Or you could say, wait, uh, could maybe could we face uh, worse consequences to lower the TN or on the other side? Look, I I don't care if I actually jump. I just want to place the tome on the other side of the pit for my my friends to grab it. So maybe this lower the TN, but the consequences now are you fall down badly. For example, mm -hmm. you grab your dice, you now apply your tag bonus, you roll your dice, and we play to find out what happens. Basically, and what I find that's neat about that is it 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 takes the flashback concept and makes it part of character creation and it does it in the moment. So there's a spirit of blades in there that I find very interesting. What are the limits though? So, you know, that we, we go through that. Now I've got a new tag. We've been playing for several sessions. Maybe I've got 10 or 15 tags. Is there any type of mechanical control system to prevent me from just ending up with a 50 tag character and they're all superior tags? How does, how does the system handle that? Uh, so basically, at the beginning of the game, you start with a specific number of tags, namely three good tags, two superior tags, and one legendary tag. And, uh, and there is also a maximum tag, because tags are basically grouped in three sections. You need to reveal all the tags in the, in the first session, section to unlock the ones in the second one. But that's not only, that's not the only, let's say, control mechanism. So basically, in field system, there are no experience points. In, instead, to basically get to reveal more of your character, you basically need to push yourself to grab an extra die to overcome challenges. And when you do so, your potential increases by one. And when your potential reaches certain levels, and you, you already spent all the tags in the previous section, you get to unlock the new ones. But every time you push, you also award the GM a plot point, which is basically a game resource the GM can use to make your life harder, but also more interesting. And let's say this whole thing, so I, 
I want to reveal more stuff about my character. To do so, I need to push. To push, I need to roll. So I will. I I want to roll. I I I will. I look for conflicts and challenges and situations and obstacles to face. But in doing that, I'll also give the GM an ammo they can use against me later. Against me, I mean, in the spirit of 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 collaboratively create a story, of course. Yeah. And I found it interesting when I kind of began to grok that because it, it, what you're doing is you are tying together character, character progression with a meta currency, um, which I thought was neat. And I also really love the fact that it, it encourages engagement It encourages the, the, the players to push their characters, literally push their characters and, and be, and, and be proactive um, in that process in order to do that unlocking. So you, Let's talk about the playtest process. Um, so now it's post blades. You've made some major changes um, conceptually. It's somewhat baked. First, let's talk about playtests that you ran. What what are some things that you gleaned from those early playtests that you ran that that I can now see in the game? So the let's say the the first real playtest already has already had um, both these meta currency for the GM. And the fact that you reveal tags. I remember the very first game, my players reacted to it very weirdly because they were like, we can really do anything we want. Like we have a blank piece of paper and we ended up playing some ninja cats in the in a post-apocalyptic world facing, I think, dogs or dragons or something. But I remember that at some point, I uh, let's say I can be a very hardcore GM sometimes. So I basically threw them in a situation that looked impossible to face. And one of the players said, okay, stop. I want to reveal something. I know uh, a ninja technique to become invisible. And this is a plus four tag. And and look, I I, I am able to make all of us invisible. And while at the point, at the time, let's say it felt probably weird and, and, and it was not ideal as it was, I remember as a GM feeling really amazed by how this player managed to solve the problem and surprise me. And, and it, didn't, it didn't feel unfair to me, like, okay, but I want to, you know, just overcome this obstacle very sim- in a very simple way because he spent his best resource to do so. It, and it felt great. And I, and, and I remember that that was a defining moment where I said, there is something cool here. I need to do more because this, is, this, this can be something. What was some of the final things you figured out before you started saying, like, this is, this is what I'm, this is what I'm doing. And, and you're still working on it. You're still tweaking it and things like that. But when did it finally feel baked for you? When did it finally feel like, yeah, I think that I've got this now. So this is a painful memory for me, but also a good <laughs> one. So yeah, uh, hand me a tissue. Um, but basically imagine that at some point during 2019, the, the book was done. I had 200 pages written and laid out with, uh, you know, some, um, some pictures from other game just to, you know, play, just as placeholders. And I opened a Discord server and a lot of people from Twitter decided to join. And among them, two of my now closest friends in the table, tabletop RPG world, let's say, um, Greg Lauer, which was here 
um on yeah on, greg's been on, on the show yeah and and matthew simayel which is banished on on twitter and basically at the time our relationship wasn't that good in my opinion let's say we were always arguing in a way um greg likes I, to argue <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, and but but I I I felt I wanted I wanted them to see my game because I thought the these guys can really challenge me to do better. And uh, basically, at some point, I think Matthew mostly uh, was saying, "Look, okay, this is interesting. No, I, I I won the night, but you could do so much more." Mm. what kind of stories do you want to create and it was like i want people to discover about their characters to connect to the setting we already baked together to add on top of it and he was like okay so do that with the rules and i was like you can't you can't have you, you can't create rules to do that and he was like oh yeah yeah you can <laughs> you just need to find a way but you i i i, I assure you you can and he was right. And basically, the, the last bit uh, is what is now in the game as a story path, which is, to be honest, the, the best part of the game, in my opinion. Interesting. And it came way later. And I remember myself thinking, oh, yeah, really? Okay, now I'm, I'm creating those rules. I'll show you. And he was doing me a favor, <laughs> you know? And at the end, I was like, man, I, I have to thank you because you pushed me in the right direction. And that was the last bit that uh, that was missing to the game to become what is what it is now. Let's say. So let's talk about what the story path is. So uh, what what was that breakthrough? So basically, the the idea was to 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 to, to incorporate in the rules a way for players to f to have a goal in the discovery process of their characters. Up to that point, it was good, but depending on the player. It could felt a little bit random. I have this, I have that. So basically, story path can be open by players after a flashback. And they are basically a big question we want to we, we want the answer to. And when the player creates these, they can decide who is going to answer. Interesting. If it's going to be the GM or themselves. And basically you have uh, these additional part of the character sheet, which is separate from it. You write it down. You write this question down. You write down who is going to answer. What is the focus of the question? So for example, let's say, I think this is also an example in the book, but basically let's say um, your grandfather gave you a, a magical watch. The, the last day you saw them, basically they disappeared after. So this is the flashback. And you decided to, to come up with it when you, re you, you revealed your time-stopping magical watch, for example. Yeah. At that point, you, open, you, you can create a lot of questions. So for example, what's, what's the real nature of the watch? Or who built it? Or what happened to my grandfather? Or why did they give it to me? And, and basically, there is a list of type of questions you can pick from to help the player basically focusing what they want to answer to and also help everyone else to understand where they shouldn't go with their own creative force, let's say. And this is also called the Rodengate system. It's a way to help players, let's say, not overstepping 
on each other's toes, if you want, especially yep. with the GM. And, uh, and the final bit of it was that I decided to help. So basically, imagine you, you create this flashback, you create this question, and you have no idea at all about the answer. You decided to be the one to answer it, but you had no idea at that point in time. And these are actually the best questions to, to be answered, right? So I was thinking, okay, maybe some players will do it easily, but others won't. Yeah. And so I decided to, to introduce these spectators questions, which are basically questions asked by the rest of the group to each player about the story path, which is basically, which I, I picture them as dots to, base, to, to be connected to, to end up answering the final question. And that was, let's say, another useful bit that has been added in the game. And this is the story path, more or less, let's say. Well, and it's mechanizing what really happens in almost every game, right? Where we start to find these little uh, mini quests, these little ideas, these concepts that may or may not have been baked into a, a backstory in a traditional game and in some ways can take over. And I think mechanizing it that way is, is definitely very interesting. So guys, we're going to take another break. When we get back from this break, we're going to talk about two more specific games. We're going to talk about Monsters and Oppressors and Pirates of the Stone Seas. We'll be right back. Attention all floor heads gather round. I have a quest for you. You can simultaneously show your love for the show and embark on rewarding adventures. Head over to drivethroughrpg.com, your one-stop shop for all things gaming. Whether you're looking for rule books, maps, art, or epic tales to enhance your gaming experience, it is that one-stop shop. Now, in the show notes, there's a unique affiliate link. Every one of your purchases directly supports Tabletop Talk if you use that link. It's like casting a powerful spell that helps us keep the podcast going strong. So next time you're itching for a new adventure, follow the affiliate link in our show notes or bookmark it now in your browser. It can be your portal to everything on DriveThruRPG. Now let's get back to the show, but please support the show by using that DriveThruRPG affiliate link next time you are shopping at the site. So now that we have kind of an understanding of the field system from from a conceptual standpoint and, and really from a design goal standpoint, I want to talk about Monsters and Oppressors. So Monsters and Oppressors does not exist. And then you decide, hmm, I'm going to start working on this. So let's go back there where to the very beginnings of Monsters and Oppressors. So this was, uh, let's say, more recent. It was, uh, I think, uh, uh, 2020 and I was working as always. And basically I was taking a break and I, I, I was thinking of, uh, a dice mechanic. Basically I was thinking about rolling and rather than adding the, the, the dice to decide the result, I was trying to give more agency by allowing players to place dice on, on different tables to decide what was happening. And basically, um, that 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 felt good. I created a on on a piece of paper I had in front of me a, a very basic table. I show it to my better half, and she said, "Yeah, that that seems interesting." And I said, 
Yeah, right. But this time I want this to be specific. I don't want to do the same I did for Phil. Right. I, I, I want this to be grounded in a very specific setting this time. Basically, uh, let's, I think mo so Phil's system was mostly done as, as you said, with basically all of your guests. Designing, let's say, is simple. Writing a tabletop RPG is a whole different thing. And I was basically in that final plateau where I felt that designing was done and I didn't find energies to write. So I, I, did, I took the easy way and I decided to design something different, right? And, um, and basically, I wanted to do things differently. I wanted to do something very different. It was awesome how different it felt, all the design process, how, how easier it felt to start from the fiction rather than from a, a more, let's say, abstract idea of what right. should happen in a fiction. And uh, I think in a few weeks, possibly, the core of the game was done. Wow. And the purpose there was to do <clears throat> basically everything differently. So we had a setting and, uh, the, um, and basically the, the game was way more structured than feel. I wanted it to be so something blades showed me at the time was how a game can benefit from having a, a specific structure if you want. And then Argon second edition came out and that game was awesome to me. And I said, I want to do something structured as Argon is. Yeah. Plus I played zombie world, which is another <laughs> great game, great game. It's, it's, it's stunning. And I, and I said, I want to do something closer to these games. And then Monsters and Oppressors came, basically. That, 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 that's the point. That's that, that what happened. Let, let's talk about that structure real quick. So when we, when we say, because, yeah, I mean, Blades is very structured. Obviously, Agon is very, very structured. And so is Zombie World, right? There's very specific, like, now we're doing this. Now we're going to do that. And, and when you're doing those things, you have an incredible amount of freedom agency and, and flexibility. But it is, it is very particular. I mean, Blades has two phases, right? Well, three phases if you count the GM turn. Um, and it's very specific. So what is, the, what is the specific structure that we see in Monsters and Oppressors? So basically, to, to, to answer the question, I just need to, to briefly explain what, what the game is about. So basically, it's about a bunch of rebels fighting an alien oppression that is basically um, plaguing our, our world. And every player gets to control their character, which is the unit leader, but that's, there's more. Every, every player is also controlling a whole unit of characters. So he's, he's, he's PC and several NPCs. And, uh, and there is a loyalty mechanism to basically see how the unit is getting along. And, uh, and basically the game is played in missions. Mm. Uh, I found that this is somehow very similar to Band of Blades, but at the time I didn't, I didn't know about Band of Blades. Right. So it's some sort of retrospective influence if you want. Yeah. And, um, so basically in the, the structure is you, you have, have a lot of phases actually. So the first one is the, the briefing. So you get to, you get the characters together, the leaders together, and they decide what to do. They can ask the GM for a mission or they can look at the map. You have a setup, obviously, even in this game. And, um, because I'm a huge fan of, of setups, you, you will find the setup in mostly every game of mine. 
and then you you basically pick a point on the map and you decide to do something you also have this region you play in characterized by, by several stats so you can even work to increase one of those stats to to make it more safe or more uh wealthy or more you know um more keen to the to the rebellion and then you basically create i have this cooperation phase so basically you decide who is leading the mission so you have this commander which is the player the player will tell the others what to do and they will decide if they want to follow the orders or if they want to do something different and this will affect the game and then you start the mission which is let's say as in blade the score if you want right and then uh, you play it out you dis- you you see if you fail or succeed there is uh, let's say a mechanic which is called the the alert if the alert goes up you're done because the oppression is unbeatable if they display full force and um if you made it you get rewarded and you get to basically run through some sort of downtime and then the gm does something and then you repeat that's cool that's cool and what's cool about it is i hear all of those things you talked about i hear argon in there i hear zombie world in there i hear blaze in there that's that's exciting when what was the big moment in the design process with this uh that breakthrough moment so you're you're struggling with it you're fighting it it's fighting back and it's just it's something's not working and you either added something to monsters or took something away from monsters that finally made it all start to click. Do you remember that? So to be honest, I have a very good memory of designing monsters and oppressors because after a, a game that took me several years, it felt very easy to design monsters and oppressors. I should look at my log to answer the question, but I think that one big moment was when I took a lot of mechanics and I basically collapsed them some of uh, them were removed. Some of them were simplified to be the same. There were too, too many resources at the first uh, in the first iteration, and it, it, they felt a little bit overwhelming and uh, to the players. And uh, and when I finally removed them and made them, let's say, easier to understand, that felt great. That felt great. When does pirates come into play? So. That's after monsters, right? So monsters, you put that together first. When does pirates start to get on your radar? Uh, I think actually a few months ago. And again, uh, in to me, let's say every uh, after feel every other game was the was made because of the, the the urge to explore something different in the design. So I decided to go somewhere in between. I wanted the same. Flexibility of field system, but a different, a, 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 a little bit more structured. And I wanted to be smaller than both of them because mm-hmm. in the end, both of them were, I don't want to say big books, but they, let's say closer to masks. So maybe not the biggest book on the market, but not so thin as well. I wanted something smaller, something easier, even for me to manage because my my design activity started with COVID-19. I had a lot of free time. Right. <laughs> that free time is not mine anymore. <laughs> yeah. So I need that to be, you know, some easier and, and more manageable. And and most most importantly, I wanted a pirate game. So Sean Tompkins <laughs> didn't unlock the Sunderdial supplement yet. Another friend of mine um 
is designing something, but is taking his sweet time. And I needed something to play basically Black Sails. So I was like, look, I tried 7C, it's a great game, but I don't want fantasy in my in my pirate game. So right. I'm I'm going to design it. And 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 basically I did. So so it's you start with a genre, you start with a feel, you start with limits, right? That this is not gonna be, you know, fantasy pirates. This is gonna be more pirates pirates. Yes. What's next? Now that you've got that concept, you've got an idea. I want it to be more mechanical and structured than feel, but not quite as structured as monsters. What's the first first step from a mechanic standpoint? Where do you start to find that sweet spot? I, I, so actually the mechanics started with another game I played in the meantime, which is Undying by Paul Riddle, which is hilariously great. It's, it's an incredible game. Yeah, I it's, gotta get Paul on the show. <laughs> it's, it's an incredible, incredible game. Um, and I wanted that in my own design. So I started with tokens. I wanted, to, to be honest, to be honest, actually, this started with a chat with my wife because I remember me saying something like, a tabletop RPGs should enforce the behaviors we want from players at the table. What do we want? We want them to do stuff. We want them sometimes to fail. What do we want the GM to do? We want them to provide opportunities. We want them to place obstacles. And I said, the the point is we want them to do these things in a specific balance, let's say. We don't want just opportunities and no obstacles. We don't want just successes and no failures. And so I started with this idea, and this is where Undying uh, comes in. What if we use tokens to basically spread these things to, 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 to ensure all of them happen in the, in the proper ratio, if you want? And that was the beginning, let's say. So where is the field system, Monsters and Oppressors and Pirates right now? At, at what stage are each of them right now? So basically, um, field system is, is done. Is it just need edits? I also I, I I have art. I also have a video for a Kickstarter. I just need to find the courage to launch the campaign. If you want, I was planning. I was trying. If you want to to release it through some publishers, but let's say uh, it didn't find the interest uh, yep. of these publishers. So for sure, Phil will will see the light of the day, and I'm pretty sure it will be through uh, some kind of crowdfunding campaign. Monsters is written at 90%. I'm just missing some sections with the setting mostly, so some flavor, let's say. And Pirates is, uh, is probably the, most comp- the, 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 the one that is actually finished, the layout and everything, because it's going to be released as an Ashcan only, no, no art. I did the cover myself. Uh, it's already layout, laid out, so let's say it's ready to be released. I'm just working on a final bit of the design that I decided to add. And basically, I think that both monsters and um, pirates will be on each. Gotcha. I'm not sure if they'll be pay what you want or for a small amount of money. I'm not sure. Um, I just want them to be available to people, you know, so. So is is there any way right now, people listening, before that we get these out there in Ashcan, before we start the Kickstarter, is there a way for us to get a peek at it or is it not ready for public consumption? 
I'd say it's ready. I could release it hundred uh, percent. Um, the point is that I'm, let's say I'm, I'm now a bit, uh, you know, distracted by other things in life. Um, so yeah, I'm, well, you're moving to a phase that that has nothing to do with design, right? It has nothing to do with gameplay. It has nothing to do with game design. It doesn't have to do with writing or anything. It's it's another, it's a whole nother phase and another skill set that um, I think a lot of designers don't realize is coming. And, and they get there and they're like, "Oh crap!" Like, yeah, I just designed the shit out of this game, but I, but now I've got to be, now I've got to be marketing. Now I've got to, you know, business yeah. plans and all of that stuff. Um, and writing games tends to be a little bit more fun than this phase. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, this is my experience as well. Basically, I realized that a game needs to become a book yep. and the book needs to become a product Yeah, to be on the market, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and uh, as you said, I feel I have the skills to design a game. I managed somehow to write a book. I am still struggling with the marketing phase and everything. And I think this is what is holding me a little bit down at the moment. Yeah. But to be honest, if uh, someone wants just to play the game, I, I have no problems shredding what I have right now as it is. And it's, uh, all of them are fully playable games. So if anyone is interested, I'm here. I mean, I'm on Twitter. You, you can yep. message yep. me. And <laughs> and we'll have a link to your Twitter account uh, as people <laughs> scroll down. So, guys, we're going to take one more break. And when we get on the other side of the break, we're going to get to one of my favorite segments in the show, which is what are you grooving on? We'll be right back. This is the part of many podcasts where someone comes on, interrupts the show, and explains that you should consider paying for the content that you're listening to right now for free. That pitch man explains by giving a dollar or more a month, you not only support the show, but you allow the show to grow and improve. Here on the third floor, we refuse to interrupt your episode of Tabletop Talk with such time-wasting pleas. We pledge never to run a spot asking you to go to patreon.com and give a dollar or more a month because supporting content creators keeps the content coming. Even if there is a link in the show's description, and there is, we don't ask you to click it and become a patron. We don't waste time rambling about the benefits like early access to episodes, getting episodes without ad breaks like this, or even getting a chance to play in one of Craig's RPG sessions. Anyway. Enjoy this episode, knowing Tabletop Talk, despite being supported by its patrons, won't engage in such blatant appeals for support. Um, so Eduardo, as a, as a listener, you know that I have really found something new um, in the last year or so that I've talked to guests that's helped me get insights on their approach and their process and who they are as creators. And that's learning for people who create 
what do they consume, right? So what are things that you as a creative are finding are taking over your brain? Now, we talked about some games, right? We talked about how Blades took over your brain and how Agon came in there and invaded, how Undying became, you know, just just taking it over. But I want to go beyond that. I want to not even talk about research and I want to put your design hat away. What is something recently, whether it be a book, a series or something that has just taken over your life? So I wouldn't say it, it took my life just because I don't have the privilege, you know, to, to let that happen <laughs> at the moment. Uh, but basically I fell in love with the wheel of time series on Amazon. Oh, re- now that's very, that's a very controversial thing because there's a lot of people that hated wheel of time. I know. And, uh, okay. Uh, unpopular opinion. I fell in love. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, we, we watched the show. We didn't know lot about it. We, we were looking for something good. Uh, we were in a fantasy mood and we were looking for, for anything actually. And there is not much to be honest, uh, especially when it comes to TV shows. And I loved it. I loved it so much that I made the mistake of buying the first three books, which are huge. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'll ever have the time to read them. But let's say it was really, I mean, it felt good to me. I, I liked it. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, what you did is, is I think one of the more honest ways to approach it, which is you were not familiar. You were not, you didn't bring the burden and baggage of having read the books with you. Um, I, when I watched, I like, I liked it much better than most people. Um, uh, as well. I had a little bit of that baggage cause I had read wheel of time, but it had been so long ago that there's, mm-hmm. you know, I had a vague remember, you know, I could probably tell you seven things I remember from reading that series. Cause I was 13, I think when I read 14, when I read uh, wheel of time for the first time. Um, and you know, so I enjoyed the series and I found some very distinct choices and changes they made. And I appreciated those. Um, some of the hate that 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 Wheel of Time got was just bigots um, so that, that you can ignore that. But there was legitimate concerns about it. Right. There was legitimate people that uh, that but they were all, again, wishing that the books were were translated over, which is which would never happen. And I, I got to tell you, Eduardo, as, as somebody who has a very big soft spot for Wheel of Time, um, my love of it now as an adult thinking about it has nothing to do with the craftsmanship of the writing. It has to do with the world and the lore that I loved. I've gone back to the books because I'm starting to, you know, try to put things in front of my daughter and it's, it's not an easy read. Um, uh, they're not as good of a, a, a wordsmith and writer as I remembered. And, and, and let's be honest, Tolkien's the same way, right? Tolkien's not a great writer. He's written some great books, <laughs> but he's not a great writer. And, and, and we forget because we, what we remember is what we loved. We forget how tough it is. Absolutely. I read the, the Lord of the Rings uh, when I was a child. I was, I think, eight years old or something. And I loved it. But honestly, I appreciate the movies way more. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, and, but, but anyway, Wheel of Time was something that caught my attention for sure. Uh, so, another, what clicked about it? So as you, you and your wife are watching this, like, why did it work for you? So to be honest, the moment it, it took us was when um, the the monsters attacked the village. I don't remember names. I won't try it because we were like, 
what is this scene? I mean, okay, they're dancing. It's uh, a staple of fantasy genre. It feels a little bit out of place. Oh my God, what is happening? So that's what happened. And we said, wow, this really caught us off guard. This is good because usually, especially my wife is able to, you know, see those coming. And the fact that she was caught by surprise was a, was a really compelling thing to see. And, and then the whole setting, it felt the, 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 the episode where they are finally at the Citadel and uh, there are all those colors, all those factions, all those, that politics that felt like a great world, a great setting. And, and that's, that's the moment I buy on the books because I wanted to know more. Yeah. And I think that the, that the creators of the TV series did a good job on two things. One, um, they didn't, didn't do everything in the books. And quite frankly, nobody wants to watch that movie. Uh, you know, if you want all that, you got to go to the books. Right. Um, but I also liked how they slowly revealed things. Um, I think that there were some very smart choices on when to reveal things about the world, when to introduce the po- the politics and the different factions. Um, I and I don't know whether they've promised a, a season two or not. I hope it happens um, and, and I will watch it. But I'm also I didn't hate the, um, the Lord of the Rings prequel stuff that came out. I enjoyed that, too. And that's not a popular opinion either. No, no, uh, for sure. So I, 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 I watched that. It was good in the moment. It felt a little less good after, I think. Yeah. There was, let's say that there was a bit that I still laugh about, to be honest, the moment where the, the Southlands um, text changed to Mordor. <laughs> and that felt a little bit weird, you know? Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's um, so bigotry, because I think there were some hate also on that show because of bigotry which is something I obviously don't, um, don't agree on, or don't agree with. Um, I liked it in the moment, uh, but let's say if you, I don't know if you're familiar with the Peach Meeting, a YouTube channel on Screen Rant. No. So basically it's, um, it's a producer talking with the show, the, 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 the show showrunner. And, and it's, let's say, if you look at that, you will see... 90% of my comments on the show, let's see. It's, it's hilarious anyway. <laughs> Can you Take give me an example? Uh, well, for example, um, the fact that they introduced Gandalf and they try to make it a mystery, but it's, it's Gandalf. I mean, <laughs> no doubt about it. No matter the effort in the final episodes to, you know, to, 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 to make it look something different. Come on. I mean... There was some ham-fisted writing in there. I could could not agree more. And, and um, for me to enjoy it, I had to just stop and just relax. Um, but you're 100 percent right. They um, and this is also happening with the Star Wars stuff, where they just they feel they feel they have to do things for the fans. They feel like they have to do some service to 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 the other works. And I really wish creators could let that go and just say let's tell a story in this same world and we don't have to reference the other parts which i think it's what makes the mandalorian the best star wars show so far in my opinion so i love mandalorian but it's not the best 
Andor's the best. <laughs> ah, yeah, you're right. You're right. But it's 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 following the same principle. Correct. You know? And while, for example, I didn't enjoy it that much, Obi Wan. Yeah. I couldn't. I I was trying to, but I couldn't. And anyway, I think you said something very interesting, or at least to me, I think there is a difference between entertain, entertaining and good. Oh, Ringo Powers was entertaining for sure. Um, but was it good? That can be debatable, I think. Yeah, I have that conversation a lot with my friends about movies, right? So there's a lot, there's, for me, there's two different things here, which is movies that I love and enjoy and movies that are good. And, and those are two different things, right? And uh, the example I often use is, is Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a very good movie. But God, do I love that movie. And I will watch it. You say, hey, Craig, you want to go watch? Yeah, I'll go watch it right now. Right. I'll go watch it for the 50th time. I love that movie. But but structurally, there, there's a ton of weakness in that movie. There's some really like just silly choices and decisions made. And you can tell some of those were at the very beginning. Some of them were made at the end. And I don't care. I just love that it's movie. Awesome. And honestly, I think this this way of thinking also explains some of the discourse on tabletop RPGs. I agree. There are games that are good, but there are games that can be entertaining. And and most of the time, people don't really mm, think about a game being good design-wise. It just needs to be entertaining. Yeah, and Shadowrun is the example I use there, right? Um, like, I think, I think I could almost, like, empirically prove that Shadowrun is a bad game. But that does not mean that there are not thousands of tables out there that have had unbelievably incredible, great times playing Shadowrun. And those are two different things. 100%. I think Shadowrun, Exalted, and Aberon are the three greatest settings I yeah. ever stumbled on. And I never managed to really enjoy because of the game. Mm-hmm. But those are entertaining. And they can be. So, and I don't know a whole lot about it, but it piqued my interest. Um, there is, someone has put out uh, Eberron for uh, Savage Worlds. Yes. Um, and I'll be interested to hear um, how that comes across and how that works. Uh, because Savage Worlds and 5e are very different systems. And Eberron was built from the ground up for D&D. Um, so I'll be very interested to see um, what comes back from that uh, idea. To be honest, uh, I think uh, these three settings I mentioned are probably the most translated ones. I found Aberron for Dungeon World. I found Aberron for Fate. Nice. They tried to to make it in every source, basically. Yeah, they're, that's because they're they're so beloved, right? Um, and and people, you know, there's people that don't want the system to get in the way. Um, so, Eduardo, on a Saturday, there is a lot of things you can do that is far more interesting than talking games with me. So, I really do appreciate you taking the time. No, uh, it's the other way around, actually. Thank you, thank you so much for having me. Really, it was uh, it was really pleasant. I'm glad. I'm glad. And guys, you can scroll down right now. You're going to find a link to Eduardo's Twitter account. He's very active on Twitter. Follow follow him. And that way you can keep up to speed and on top of everything. More importantly, though, you listen to the whole thing. This is the end. And I appreciate you doing that. Take care. episode subscribe to tabletop talk and share it with your friends 
Check out our content on YouTube and Twitch. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and stay updated on everything coming from Third Floor. All the links are in the show notes. Take care, Floorheads. That was good, my friend. Was it? Yeah, that was okay. good. Good, good, I good. Am, I am sweating over here, you Yo, know. Stop it. <laughs> just talk, just all we're gonna do is talk about games, man. We got this. No, no, I know. I, I, I was trying to prep myself and and do this, but you know, between a foreign language and you know, I, I as I told you the last time, it's real. It feels like a real honor, you know, because greatest the greatest designers were on on this side of, of the table <laughs> and i feel like i'm let's say not prepared for this you're, but anyway honestly you're killing it man and and just you know when we get to this next segment just think about um just answer my questions so don't worry about you know i think and and i love you know guests that you know do a bunch of preparation and have their notes in front of them but the sooner i can get you off those notes the happier i'm gonna be uh, to, so to, 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 to be honest, I, I didn't oh, prep any. No, no, no. I, 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 I just tried to, 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 to set myself in, in, the, in a way that, that's saying we're just talking games. Perfect. Slow down, take it easy, enjoy Perfect. it. <laughs> All right. So I will bring us back. Right. I think we gave him a good sense of it, Eduardo. That, that worked out really well. <clears throat> and I spent nice. the pressure. I'm glad. <laughs> Sorry, I stuttered uh, for a bit. I, I'm. So Dude, for the title of the movie and stuff you're killing it you're killing it <laughs> okay <laughs> see here's the thing you got to remember that you hear the edited produced versions of all my interviews you would be amazed the difference between the real interview and you're going to hear it this time right so you're going to hear what i do okay. to this and you're going to be like oh everybody's an idiot when they're on craig's show i just make them sound good <laughs> <laughs> no, the editing editing is magic, my friend. <laughs> All right. Uh, which one do you, which one makes more sense to start with, monsters or pirates? If you want to go chronologically, I'd say monsters and oppressors. Okay, great. All right. I'm sorry, I didn't have clear plans. I hope this is no, not disappointing. But, but, I mean, no, no, Eduardo, this is what's interesting. That's what you have to understand is that you just having an answer to that is a lot less interesting than what we just talked about. What we just talked about is is a whole segment of design that nobody talks about. Right. Um, no, I'm glad you didn't. It made for okay. a better segment. No, 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 okay, no. Okay. Good. All right. I'll bring us back. Uh, oh, hey, are you still here? Wow. Um, well, the episode is over, but if you're bored, why not go to patreon.com and support the show for as little as a dollar a month? Yeah, you can just scroll down, scroll down and yeah, get the link. It's Patreon that makes this and all of our other content possible. Don't you want to join the other floorheads on the Patreon discord? Anyway, thanks for sticking around. Take care. Bye.